This is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. Uh, welcome to it. We have Dan Carey with us this week, and we are going to be talking about South America. <laughs> yep. Dan, you, you recently took a trip to Buenos Aires, Ar- Buenos Aires, Argentina. Can you can you tell me how that came about? Uh, well, it kind of started probably, I think, probably 40 years ago when uh, I met a guy by the name of Pete Slosberg. And mm-hmm. Pete uh, was the guy who uh, invented Pete's Wicked Ale. Really? Uh, yeah. And so Pete's Wicked Ale was a was a big deal mm-hmm. for many, many years. Uh, very oh, yeah. well-made, uh, first-generation craft beer. And it was Pete's, Pete conjured it and uh, marketed it. And um, I visited his brewery in the Bay Area of San Francisco many, many years ago, and I met him then. And then over the years, I see him like we judge in cup beer competitions or whatever. And um, Pete is a very personable guy. He's a one of those people that's a connector, you know, like he brings people together. And because he's so affable and kind and intelligent and... When he talks to you, it's always like you're the only one that that there is. He's one of those kind of people. Oh, yeah, just one of those charming, special and kind of people that can make he, you feel yeah. sort of alone with them in the world. He, yes, and he's very clever. So, um, years ago, he went to Argentina and uh, with his wife, and um, the craft brew movement was just starting, and. For some reason, he ended up at a, home, a meeting of home brewers because mm-hmm. he's a brewer and he went and found like-minded people. And he started this relationship with these small brewers and home brewers in Argentina. And he really loves South America. And he started to help these guys and nurture them along. So at this point, he's known as the grandfather of the Argentinian craft beer industry that is that is uh, like such a cool thing yeah yeah and it's it is it is it is really neat and uh he's very proud of that he's had a huge impact and helped these brewers figure it out because argentina is a country that right now is having difficulties they have extreme uh crazy inflation and it's it's a very historically a very wealthy country because they have lots of natural resources. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I think it was the top five or top five or 10 richest countries in the world before, say in the early uh, um, 20th century, um, it was uh, very wealthy. But bad decisions, dictatorships, uh, really crappy leaders have just driven the country into the ground. So these brewers didn't have a lot of money. So Pete helped them with technology. Mm-hmm. And so now he's working with them. He's put together this, basically the great American beer festival equivalent uh, in, in Argentina, where I think there's probably over 800, 850 or more craft breweries in Argentina. It's a huge country. Yeah. And um, put together this yearly competition, uh, just like the great American beer festival, it's called the Argentinian Beer Cup, more mm-hmm. or less. Of course, it's in Spanish, but um, and he's kind of kind of helped get this going. And so, for the last three years, he's been saying, "You should come down to Buenos Aires and judge," because most of the judges are from South American countries, mm-hmm. but some of them come from America. So, 
he said, you should come down. And then we had, we had uh, COVID, which meant that I really didn't want to get stuck in Argentina. And then it's just been really, really busy and it's been hard in the summertime to escape. So this year, Deb said, you really should go. And um, because it's an adventure and she knows I love to travel. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'll go. It's, mm-hmm. It was like a, took me like 15 hours of flying to get down there. It took 24 hours to get back. It's a long way. Yeah. It's our, uh, Buenos Aires is, is like the 33rd um, latitude on the south. It's it's even with Tasmania and South Africa. So it's pretty it's a pretty long way down. Oh, that's, that's and, funny. Because like when you think about South America, you think like, oh, it's just connected to yeah, America. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, South of Mexico. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so it was a long way to go down. And... Um, yeah, I went to Buenos Aires, uh, which is a, a huge city, um, to to judge to judge at their uh, national beer competition. So this is really really interesting to me. Uh, one, traveling to South America is something that's very interesting to me. I've never done it, but it seems like, especially like in Argentina, there's a lot going on, a lot of cool stuff happening. Yeah. Food, drink wise, yeah. but beef you, and the tango. Yeah, in particular, street meats and things yeah. and yeah. things like that. And I, and I want to get to that stuff. But what you never hear about is like, oh man, you have to try this Argentinian beer. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. So, sure. was this beer competition just amongst Argentinian brewers, or is it like sort of open invite and whoever wants to come? Or how did how did this beer competition work? Well, it's only for Argentinian beers. It's their okay. national competition. So. It's it's a uh, it's a young industry. It's uh, just starting out, and they're finding their way. They're heavily influenced by the American craft brewing technology. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have traveled to America. They know what's happening in America. Of course, with with uh, podcasts and and YouTube, and also flying to America and meeting American brewers there. They've uh, have emulated the American craft scene and uh, they're kind of finding their their way but of course they have their own unique twist Mm -hmm. and that was what was fun to me to go down there and taste some of these beers that are you know that that are that are reminiscent of american craft beer but they're starting to now go their own way which is really really cool (laughs) most of the brewers the most of the breweries are very small they're not grand they're not highly capitalized they're mostly you know people starting out on the shoestring which is very comfortable to me because that's how we were 30 Mm -hmm. years ago so i get it i know how it is to start out with nothing and you know one pump and a couple of hoses and and three or four tanks and just try to find your way and as, as if you're in the dark so i have empathy for that position and they're all very young they're you know people in their 20s um and very clever, mm-hmm. very creative, and they're they're being bold and finding their own way, which is really exciting. Well, and that's very interesting to me because, like, you, you know, me, I, I'm a writer by trade, right? And sure. there's this old, like, um, you know, sort of rule in writing is, uh, you know, you have to understand the rules before you can start breaking them, right? Yeah, and that's when you, true. Yeah, and when you start, that's true. And when you start exporting things like, say, American craft beer, and, and, you know, you got a guy like Pete who comes down and really fosters that, but it is going to then be steeped in American craft brewing, right? Yeah. And the technology and the way we sort of do things and the styles and how we interpret them. But then you sort of give that knowledge to somebody else. And then once they understand those rules they're sort of free to start breaking them. You oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's well said. 
How, so how did that sort of manifest in the beers you were drinking? Well, um, the first of all, you have to understand that the exchange rate is really, really bad. Okay. So, um, for us to, for, for us Americans to travel there, if you can get what's called the, the, the blue exchange rate, which is not the government sanctioned, sanctioned rate, but like a thousand pesos is like two bucks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can have a really nice, you could probably have a, a good meal for 3000 pesos, which yeah. is, you know, whatever that's six bucks. Uh, and, um, so what that means is, is when they import malt or they import hops, it's, it's ludicrously expensive mm-hmm. because as I said, the exchange rate, so that they have hops and, and they, they grow barley in, in Argentina, as I said, it's a huge country. So they, they have their own ingredients. Yeah. They also have esoteric fruit. Um, and they certainly, they have their own fruits and they have, they grow a lot of fruit there. So there were, um, there were lots of sour beers, really Goza kettle soured beers, a lot of them with, uh, added fruit or spices. Um, we had one that we really enjoyed that was made with, uh, chili and coriander, uh, and ginger mm-hmm. and uh, mango and uh, passion fruit and salt. That sounds re- that sounds really cool because you kind of got like. Well, it sounded like a train wreck to me. Yeah, uh, like a kitchen sink beer. But sorry, go on. No, no, I, I was going to say because, but in my mind, I'm listening to all those ingredients and I'm like, yeah, this is starting to pile up. But then when you start throwing in the sweet, you no, know, so you had your spicy ingredients and you know, coriander, yeah. chili, ginger. These are all kind of. Sp- spicy things yeah. and then but when you start saying like passion fruit and then when you finished it with salt i was like i can see how they oh, that's funny i can see how they got that's here it's funny you should say that it was a sour beer it was a goza yeah but the funny thing is you say that is is this was a brewery and and i'm sorry i don't want to say it in spanish because I'll, I'll i'll ruin it oh i'm so bad at that yeah. It, yeah it's it in english it's called uh the lost toys and um it's a small brewery, mm-hmm. but the, the people who are running it and the brewmaster is just really energetic. And I said, I said, all of your beers are really, really good. I mean, I don't speak Spanish. I know like five words, but yeah, but they are all very kind. And for the most part, they speak good enough English that we can communicate. Yeah. And all of these beers that I had were really real, particularly this brewery were spectacular. I said, what do you attribute this to? And the, the brewmaster basically said, oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, we're just brewing. And, and one of his assistants who was cleaning out the mash done turned to me and said, it's because he's a chef mm-hmm. and he understands flavor. He's not a technician. He's not an engineer. He's a chef. And so him him and his partner both come from the cook and, and you used to be a cook. So yeah. the understanding of, of how flavors come together is really what makes their beer special. Yeah. And as you were like that, now that makes a ton of sense. Cause as you're like listing those ingredients, if you translate that to like, I'm going to put this into a tort, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's going to work. Exactly. I think you're hundred percent right. So that was a good lesson for me. Yeah. I, well, and, and well, that's another, you know, another thing when you, when you travel and you go and you meet other brewers, now you've traveled extensively in Europe. We've, we've talked about, you know, trying to get into the Czech Republic behind yeah, the yeah, Iron yeah, Curtain sure, and, sure. and of course, Germany and all that stuff. But this was your first trip to South South America. Yeah. How does that sort of then spark in your head 
moving forward of ideas brewing? Like, does it just sort of get added into like the subconscious stuff of going like, all right, now that's just going to be floating around back there. Or is it more top line? Like I saw something that was really interesting and now I want to figure out my interpretation of that. Uh, yeah, it's both. Uh, Deb always says my brain is a potpourri. So this, so I have this blender of stuff, ideas, and it just goes into that blender and, and, and it will come out in, in its own in, in my own way, I don't want to try to copy somebody else's beers, but uh, the ideas of how they used fruit in their sour beers, um, how they made their their spontaneously spontaneous lambic style beers, was interesting to me. And they used a very subtle use of fruit mm-hmm. and very subtle use of spice. Okay, that's that's nothing new. Of course, you know I understood that, but but to see combinations of of, of things like, you know, peach and, and, and passion fruit, mm-hmm. uh, 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 interesting ideas. The other thing is, um, you know, in America, when we use barrels, uh, use barrels for aging, we yeah. usually think of whiskey or bourbon barrels. Well, there, you know, Argentinian wine is, is really great. Uh, okay. you know, things like Malbec. Yeah. Uh, so they're very well known for their red wine. So there were a lot of sour brown ales that were aged in wine barrels. And that's like, I hadn't thought of that, but like, oh yeah, well that makes perfect sense. You're going to take a, 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 a sweet, sour brown ale and age it in a, uh, in a red wine barrel. Oh yeah, that makes, duh, that makes perfect sense. Um, so that was, uh, that was eye opening to me. The other thing that was fun is, is just the contagious feeling of their enthusiasm, you know, cause they're, cause me being an old guy, they have lots of questions, you know, particularly about lager brewing. Oh yeah. how, How do I ferment this or what yeast should I use or, uh, what temperature should I use and, and um, taste this beer and tell me what you think I should do uh, that to me. Um, you know, brewing is a, is a brewers are very uh, collaborative mm-hmm. uh, like scientists. And um, so many over the years, so many people have given me so much, so much knowledge has been imparted to me by, by older people, older brewers that it's sort of my karmatic responsibility to do the same back to them. So, so as, as much as I'm learning from them, I'm giving back to them. So that, that was the, the enthusiasm was nice. And, and just being in the city of Buenos Aires, it's a huge city, but it's such a beautiful city. Yeah. And, and yeah, the whole, you know, it's, it's striking a couple of things in my head of like, you know, the whole, you know, to teach us to learn, right? Yeah, definitely. Because when you're seeing somebody do, when you're telling somebody, you know, this is how I, I do this, but you're simultaneously watching them do it slightly different, yeah. you know, it's going to open up new avenues in, in, 100%. in your mind. And as you're talking about this, one of the things that I, I, I find very interesting, and maybe I'm going down a wrong path here. But when craft beer in America was sort of going through its, you know, it, it, in the 80s, it sort of starts up. In the 90s, it starts growing. And yeah. it's sort of in its nascent uh, period of like, okay, this is now, you know, a recognized thing. Yeah. But it's young. And you're coming through or coming into it at that sort of, it's still young. Yeah, it's teenagers now. It's teenagers now. And during that time, you're basically fighting to the nail just to stay yeah. afloat, right? Yeah. Is going down to South America where a craft beer scene is sort of in its 
you know, it's young, it's teenager Youth, phase yeah. down there. Allow, did that allow you to sort of see what you went through in a different light? Oh, me? yeah. It's very comfortable for me because I walk into these breweries and it's like, you know, I walk into craft breweries, new craft breweries, tap rooms in America, and I see these, um, I see these, these imported tile floors that, that are, I, uh, 30 40 50 dollars a square foot yeah, you see the I venture see, capital i see a lot of uh rich folks with no place to put their money and they buy the state-of-the-art german brew house with complete automation just tricked out breweries and I, it, it makes me jealous because you know we started out with old dairy tanks and like i said a couple of hoses and a pump and so to go into these these little breweries in Argentina is like it's very comfortable to me, very familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's old equipment. It's not. It's rudimentary. There's no automation. Everything is done by hand. You know, shovels and and rakes and hose and and uh, it's it's very comfortable to me. And I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I know exactly where you're at. So that was very familiar. And as you're talking about it, you know, and you're talking about the different flavor combinations they're coming up with this idea in my head, just coming, uh, it's just kind of sticking there. It's like, yeah, you, it, it all makes sense because you have to work with what you have, right? Well, yeah, definitely. So if your country makes wine and your country has these exotic fruits, that's what you're going to have, have to work with. But if you're sort of in, in a position where it's like, you, you can't go get the tricked out brewery. You can't like no. making do often makes the best stuff, I guess is what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of yes. driving at because you're forced to adapt to the situation instead of solving the problem with just saying, well, then you just throw a couple more thousand dollars at it. And we, well, yeah, exactly. Or hire a consultant. Like yeah. I, I visited a, I, the nicest brewery that I visited had some really nice tricked out equipment. It was about, a 15,000 barrel brewery and they were doing really well and their, in their tavern or their, their bar was packed and, um, uh, they all make gin down there. So they had gin and tonics and beer. And surprisingly, you know, after drinking three or four IPAs, like the palate cleansing nature of a gin and tonic is really nice. <laughs> so a- for whatever reason, all these craft breweries make gin and tonic in addition to beer, but in any event, it had this really nice equipment, and I didn't recognize it. and And I said, "I said this is really nice equipment." And he said, "Yeah, it was really, really hard, but I hired a a man who makes uh, equipment for like ships, mm-hmm. and so he knew how to weld stainless steel. And we basically reverse engineered a German brewery, and I, he studied it and studied it, and he built this brewery. He's a very clever man who engineered this all by himself." is a really nice brewery but these 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 people these brewers and these and these fabricators they all just kind of have to adapt and over overcome because there's no way that this guy was going to with the exchange rate being no. what it is there's no freaking way that he was going to get a multi-million dollar multi-million euro brew house shipped to Argentina it just wouldn't happen it just can't happen so he built it for like 20 cents on the euro more or less and uh, it's just, you know, I mean, creativity is, uh, uh, I mean, there's no stopping it if people are going to find a way to make it happen. And he did. That is the coolest thing I've heard in a very, very long time. It's like, you know, I had enough money to build a German brew house in Argentina. I yeah. just needed a guy who knew how to weld. Yeah, that's <laughs> and right. knew how to put this stuff together. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is really, that is really, really cool. So... In going down there, what was what was sort of it like culturally for you? And I know you know traveling through Europe, uh, 
America and Europe are more similar than they are different. Now, of course, yeah, every, right. every country is going to have its idiosyncratic things and, and whatnot. But, and since I've never been there and this was your first trip down there, what was it like sort of culturally and how you found interacting with folks or going out on your runs or, or stuff like well, that throughout the city? Um, the city itself is, uh, I guess, um, over a hundred years ago, uh, probably more than that in the, probably, I think probably the 1800s, they had, uh, hired, um, the, the country was very affluent at that point and they, brought over uh, architects architect from France mm-hmm. and they it has and they built it in a very Parisian style oh okay so uh, a lot of the architecture is Parisian beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful uh, homes with and, and buildings with wrought iron and slate roofs yeah a and very so it's like line, line lined up yeah exactly just like you would find in Paris not not every neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, it's not a, it's no longer a wealthy city Um and lots of cobblestones. Not there are there are cobblestone streets, and it's um, the people. Uh, I found them very very friendly. There were lots and lots and lots of police. Mm-hmm. Uh, practically on every corner, there was a cop standing and watching. Um, there was a lot of construction going on. I guess I was told that this is a year of elections. So whenever there's elections, there's a lots of public works projects. Some things um, are universal. Yeah. Um, my Spanish is really, really bad. If practically non-existent, many people have a, at least a rudimentary understanding of English. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, people were very, very patient, you know. So I think that uh, Americans uh, who are like That's America, you got to speak English. They need to freaking chill out because yeah. it's really, really hard when you're in a foreign country. Uh, and you don't speak the language and um, people need to be kind to yeah, uh, it's not like you can outsiders. just pick up a form. No, that, especially you know. when you're old like me. And um, I've never been able to do it. Yeah, it's, many people have yeah. tried to teach me a foreign language. And, and it, it's, it's, it was really nice that people were very, very patient, you know, like, you know, like I, I know my basic numbers, but, but often, you know, we use, you use your fingers, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Cinco or whatever uh, for making change. Um, so I felt very comfortable. I felt very safe. I did a lot of walking. I walked all over the town. There was, um, the national art museum, mm-hmm. uh, in drinking beer at all day long. Cause I'm, you know, you taste not drinking, but yeah. tasting more or less 60, 70 beers in a day. And then in the afternoon, you know, if you got done at three or four in the afternoon, I would, you know, have to go out and get some fresh air. Yeah, do something. Yeah. So I walk across the city. I don't know. It was a five mile walk to their uh, national museum and it's, um, it's free to get in and it's absolutely breathtakingly beautiful art. Um, some really spectacular paintings. And so that was fun to wander around and just looking at the architecture, there's monuments everywhere. There's like you said, there's street food, um, and, uh, lots of parks, um, and uh, beautiful avenues. So it is very much, it has a very much a Parisian feel to it. Very cool. Well, you, and you sent me a picture or a couple pictures and you seem to be standing in a room that was used to cook 
various meats of, of yeah. like like a whole whatever like just lining the walls this, yeah. this room seemed to exist for the sole purpose of yeah. cooking animals where were you <laughs> at and what were you eating because it really yeah. looked quite good to me i was like well i would like to be in this room it, yeah it, it it was a a room of huge piles of uh of of smoking uh oak deb said it looked like an osha nightmare but it was um <laughs> It was more or less like a German beer garden, mm-hmm. huge, with big tables, communal eating, but it was for meat. So they had, yeah, they had beef, they had pork, they had lamb. Um, and so this this meat garden, uh, 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 carne garden. <laughs> That's the perfect uh, term for this thing. Yeah. I, I want to open a meat garden yeah. someday. It, so you walk into this place and and you sit down and they start bringing you sausage and smoke. Everything is smoked, uh, and it's not a lot of heat, but it's 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 a lot of smoke. And mm-hmm. it's not barbecue; it's its own Argentinian way of doing it. So supposedly this is it took up more or less I don't know like a half a block. Uh, this big big place, and the guy who started it, I guess he started out fifty years ago with just a, a cart selling uh, meat out of uh, smoked meat out of his cart and he just grew and grew and grew. Now it's kind of the cool place to go. So we were there on a Sunday after we'd done judging the, the, um, the guy who put together uh, Martin Bowen is his name. The guy who's kind of the, the, the driving force behind all of this took us all out, all the judges out. And so there, there is lots of these picnic tables and, there are about three spots where there's a big area that's, I don't know, 30 feet by 30 feet. And there are like uh, um, a row, like a 20 foot row of pieces of oak trees that are one foot in diameter. And they're not it's, it's mostly not open fire. It's mostly kind of smoking and smoldering. And coals yeah. And, smoldering coals. But, yeah. And, and around it are, are these big iron rods with meat hanging on it. <laughs> and so they start bringing you meat. And, uh, you, you, like I said, you have all these different sausages, all these different meat. They gave you, of course they give you bread, uh, um, red wine, beautiful red wine, which works perfectly. And then there's, there's like ribs, uh, and they're not, it's not like this sweet American, um, heavily, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not a chef, but it's not like our barbecue. It's, yeah, it's not, like it's not heavily sauced, it's not and, sauce. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it, it's, but it's crispy. It's well done. Mm-hmm. They, it's not, they don't eat like, like in, in, um, in Italy, you know, I've had really beautiful steaks, but they're kind of bloody in the middle, which, which I, I like, but these were all cooked all the way through. And so you, you could, we sat, I think we sat there for three hours, uh, drinking wine and eating. And then at the end they give you, you know, cake with caramel and whipped cream all over it. When I came back, my, my pants were a little bit tight. All sh- I don't know how the hell my clothes all shrunk, but they all shrunk <laughs> after this trip. But well, there, there was a the laundry at the hotel. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah. And it was culturally, it was kind of fun and everybody's, everybody's chill, uh, you know, big picnic tables of people passing around big platters of various types of meat. 
Yeah, uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, you were watching that drum documentary where you say, oh, something primal about hitting something with a stick. There's just got to be something primal about sitting in a room full of smoking meat. Yeah. Just people being like, oh, it's never going to stop coming. It's yeah. Just, until you tap out. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And actually, my uh, even when I flew home, my, all my clothes smelled like, or the clothes that I wore smelled like, uh, smelled like wood smoke. So it's kind of like camping. It's like camping with your own you know, it's a chef that's just bringing you all the meat you can eat. So it was pretty cool. Oh man, I got to get my, I got to get myself to Buenos Aires to, yeah. to, to go, to go to a meat garden. Yeah. That sounds like an experience you, you don't, uh, you can't, you can probably replicate it in the States, but not to like that extent. Of yeah. Like, it's something that probably is unique to, to, to Argentina. So now getting back to sort of the, the, the lay of the land of, of the beer landscape down there, was there any, you know, when you were judging these beers, were there any that came across sort of in your cup that were like, what, this guy's just nailing a traditional Czech Pilsner like yeah. right here. Yes. Yes. I, I did judge, um, the Czech pills and the German pills. They, so they kind of put me in categories that they know that, you know, I, I know. Yeah. So like, uh, like sour brown ales or lambics or, but I did judge, um, uh, German and Czech pills. And it's, and it's really kind of funny because you'll get like 10 beers in front of you. And so you start tasting one by one by one. And, and then you'll hit one beer and like, Oh, that's it. That, mm-hmm. That's it. That's a, that's a freaking perfect beer. And that instantly for me, the way I do it, that goes aside. That's the gold. I don't need to worry about it anymore. I, one I found it. That's yeah. it. And then it's now it's a matter. Now it's a battle for silver and bronze. Uh, so yes, there were some brilliant <laughs> beers. And all the beers on average were good, mm-hmm. were very drinkable, fine beers. But some of them were like, I don't know how the hell you guys are brewing such beautiful beer on such rudimentary equipment, but they're, they're doing it. Isn't that an amazing thing when you like, and that's what we were sort of talking about before, where it's like, if you, you take yourself back 30, 30, you know, 30, 35 years ago, and it's like, yeah, you're making those first runs of you know Belgian red out of yeah. a out of a milk, uh, yeah. you know, out of a, 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 well, know, a milk that, container that's right. or whatever. Well, De- Deb always says equipment doesn't make beer; people make beer, and this really shows that you don't need tricked out machinery to make uh, a great beer. You can do it in this very simple, rudimentary equipment. It's about the people. It's about the talent of the person who is, you know, wielding the mashing fork. Well, and, and one of the things that, you know, as we're talking about the categories you judged and as you know, you sort of, you alluded to a little bit before with the use of fruit and stuff like that, you are known as, you know, one of America's craft brewers who is probably at the, the top of using fruit, especially in, in sour beer, especially just any sort of fruited, fruited sure, beer. You're, sure. you're right at the top. Did visiting down there just start getting you to think about your use of fruit in, in oh, a yeah. different way? Oh, yeah. There's, I have lots of notes on different combinations of fruits and uh, how, how they're doing it. Yeah, definitely. It, it was funny because when you were talking about like the combinations and they, the stuff they were, they, they were doing, and I know it's probably a very different beer, but the one beer of yours that popped into my head was uh, Bourbon Barrel Brambleberry. Yeah. Just because that was such a mix of different berries and then and then had like a different uh it had like a barrel aging on it and and stuff like that so i i automatically pinged back to like oh yeah no i think he was putting stuff together like this in 2019 2017 somewhere somewhere i've always loved wine yeah Uh, so and growing up uh, you know in san francisco we often when i was a kid back before napa was cool 
back in the day uh, when it was kind of just more farm country. Now it's kind of she-she with uh, Teslas and Mercedes and expensive jewelry uh, and tan people. But it didn't used to be that way. It used to be farmers. So the Okies. And, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, there were Okies in California, but that's another story. <laughs> um, great music from yeah. the Okies in California. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I started. Yeah, no, now I'm now I'm just in, in my mind. I'm just thinking about like the travels I've done and how it just sort of broadens your mind. And and you know, for a brewer to do these to to, to make it a priority to do these trips, I think it, it has to be sort of you know wildly advantageous for you to to get out there and, and see what the world is doing. And well, yeah, you know, and it, I I used to be. Um, I used to be, uh, I used to do a lot of ice climbing and rock climbing. And so I'm very much happiest when I'm in the mountains Mm -hmm. and, uh, Deb said, you should go to Patagonia and which is, you know, all the way down to the tip of South America. And of course now it's coming into their winter. It's more or less what, like their December. And so I thought, ah, you know, it's probably everything's, uh, under snow and it's cold and no one's there. So, so I won't go, but I, I said that to someone. They said, oh, no, no, this is a perfect time to go to Patagonia. Beautiful beaches and beautiful mountains. This is when you see the whales. You should have went. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I should have studied harder. Well, now you got now you got a reason to go back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and, and you know, as we're, as we're sort of wrapping up here and we're, we're thinking about you know, why you, you, I mean, you, you had a friend who asked you to, to judge yeah. this thing and, and that's sort of why you go, but from a business perspective, from an artistry perspective, I mean, getting out of your normal routine of, of going to the places you sort of know well has to, you know, yes. it has to, it has to change you a little well, bit. Uh, yes. And for sure that really is, 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 it is definitely, uh, I mean, it's fun and it's, it's an adventure and, Uh, I enjoyed it, but it was a business trip because right now the beer business in America is in flux and there's Mm -hmm. so many changes and, and there's so much good beer and the competition is so strong and there are so many creative people that to find an edge is very difficult. And certainly I travel to, to, to Europe a lot and see what they're doing. Um, but, uh, Deb said to me, what do you hope to gain by going to Buenos Aires? And I said, I hope to be inspired to have new ideas or fresh ideas that we can move the business forward. So it really was for me a way to go and be inspired for new ideas. And so, and it was definitely well worth the money. Yeah, it seems like in the, in the in the beer industry, work can look like fun, and fun can look like work. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> a lot, a lot of the time, there was a. I saw a a great uh, um, sign at the airport in Atlanta that said uh, something like, "If if for those that don't know how to paint, art looks easy, but for those that know how to paint, know that it's really really difficult." Something like that, and I thought, yeah, that's that's about the truth. That is about the truth of it. So any, any, any other takeaways, uh, you wanted to share from your, your visit to Buenos Aires or, or any, any, any other experiences uh, you had that you found just, just cool? I, I, uh, I can say that, uh, the people were, were very, very friendly, uh, very kind people. Um, the, uh, economy is not doing well. And I think probably the lesson for us that as a country is, is it's who you vote for really matters because, um, 
when poor business decisions are made or political decisions are made, it really has ramifications and the exchange rate is, it's shocking. You know, like Mm -hmm. I said, uh, 500 pesos is $1. I mean, it's on the street. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I think it's important that we, uh, pay attention. Well, it, it is a good lesson to take away from from travel too. Is that uh, as permanent as some things seem? Nothing is is set in stone, and that's right. You can survive a couple of bad decisions, but six or seven or eight yeah, or ten right. starts to, to starts like to stack song. up. How did I get here? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad you had a great time in Argentina, and I'm I'm glad you came back inspired and yeah, and that yeah. you had fun uh, talking to and Argentinian I some, brewers. I met some uh, fr- some new new friend, friends, you know, some brewers that. Uh, uh, that I think, you know, will communicate over time. Well, yeah, that was going to be the other thing. I, I'm, I'm sure you, you ended up with a few more contacts in your oh, cell yeah. phone. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Dan, as always, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, I'll let you get back to being a, a brewmaster now. Thank you. All right, bye.